Hello and welcome to Where's Shaz, the podcast. I'm Shaz Ahmed and my mission is to empower, educate and inspire you with stories, knowledge and guests in the world of property, finance and business. So let's go. Hello everybody and welcome to the podcast again. So my guest today is someone doing some pretty big things. Um but also talk about it on social media as well. So we've got property developer, presenter, I would say in an accessible way, an educator. Uh, it's a man behind Property by Kazi. Kazi, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm boiling. You can probably see me sweating. My forehead is, is <laughs> my five head, sorry, is shining. How about you? Yeah, no, good, good. Just, you know, it's every, every day, new bunch of letters coming through the door and not a lot of good stuff normally comes in letters, but we persevere. <laughs> Absolutely. As, lo- as long as they're not red letters, I suppose, yeah? <laughs> exactly. So, um, listen, I appreciate you making the time. Before we uh, go into the kind of the helpful stuff, I suppose you've had a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare this weekend, haven't you, with your car? Yeah, yeah. So car, unfortunately, like like a lot of people, car um, got broken into over, mm. the, over the week, um, parked on a high street in Mayfair, but apparently it's one of the most popular areas for things to get broken into, so... Lost a little bit, so there's a lot of given a, a renewed impetus to make sure that we make some money back this week. <laughs> sure, I, I mean, is I guess it, when things like this happen, have the police been helpful? Or is it a case of it's just one of those things? I think, yeah, I mean, you know, not to get into <laughs> the budgets, but the you know, the, the, the yeah. police are very under, you know, underfunded, I guess, you know, unless you're catching somebody in the act. There's not really that much they could do. That being said, they called me yesterday, so they're going to review CCTV. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you just always say fingers crossed that hopefully, hopefully some, some justice gets done. But, um, yeah. Absolutely. And I, really I, I, saw, I saw, I think yours was Saturday, and then I saw Luigi had his car broken into as well. Uh, yes, then literally same thing, sort of same type of item. So there is an element of, you know, complacency, I think, that, you know, just leaving stuff potentially... You know, whether or not it's on view or whether or not, you know, they've seen you enter or exit your car with belongings in it. But I do think that, you know, it is a good lesson that, you know, complacency is a dangerous thing. And you need to make sure that you're, you're careful. It's very, very thoughtful of you uh, to take a lesson from that. Um, so, Kazi, first thing I ask all my guests to share um, is their mission statement. You know, why do you do what you do? So... I think it's, it's very simple. I, I do what I do because I enjoy what I do. Um, so as a property developer and investor, you know, I'm fortunate that what I enjoy um, provides a, a reasonable amount of sort of financial remuneration. Um, but I gem- genuinely enjoy making, you know, good quality luxury homes. Um, as somebody who predominantly does flips, it's great to be able to sort of, you know, create a product and then see people falling in love with it, it's selling sort of first day, having big open houses, great feedback, um, done all different types of properties from, you know, sort of real bottom of the market, even though London bottom of the market is still expensive, to, you know, million pound houses and, you know, just finding that balance of getting the right finish, the right product for the right people within each different bracket. Um, off the back of that, you know, there's also... Since, since COVID and since joining social media over the last couple of years, um, just being able to spread awareness about norm, normalizing ownership, having more conversations about 
you know, that it's actually normal to want to own property and to build that generational wealth. And, you know, I said, like, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with social media sometimes. And I was sort of, I hadn't been that active, but just because I had been busy. But this weekend I went out, um, went out in Brixton, sort of local area, and had like three random people come up to me and say, oh, like, you know, because of your YouTube or your Instagram, I actually bought my first property, which I think is another real motivator to keep going. Now that's awesome. That is really good. Um, before we get into the property stuff then, I just want to walk back a little bit. So you used to own a shisha bar, right? Yes, I used to own like a sort of shisha and cocktail bar, which was sort of the accumulation and the build-up of a shisha business that I was running for sort of 18 months to two years prior to that. Um, so why, why shisha? Is that something you're interested in or was it more of a vehicle? Again, yeah, same thing. I generally just, I try where possible to do what I like. Yeah. I think I went to Egypt in 2009, 2010, um, like sort of tried shisha, like the sort of the cultural, <laughs> the social side of shisha, not just the actual liking shisha, but what it does, it brings people together, it allows conversations, um, you know, and it kind of creates that almost what I guess a lot of people would describe as English culture, the sort of pub culture of just going out and being able to catch up with friends over you know so in a pub it's a drink in a shisha bar it's obviously the shisha um and i like the idea of that so sort of way to bring that to the uk a bit more because it wasn't as prevalent then yeah definitely i think uh with the, with the shisha bars it's definitely the pub culture so for for muslims you know who don't drink or shouldn't drink uh, the shisha bar becomes a normalized place to get together and, and catch up so yeah definitely interesting on that um were there any skills that you transferred from running that as a business to doing what you do now yeah, I think that every every job, business, everything I've done, I think there's if if you're not picking up skills from it, then it, it wasn't worth it. Like you know, and that, that goes for everything. I think the money that you can earn from a specific vocation is great, but it's really all about the skill set. And I'd say that from from you know from doing my first paper round to just understanding that you need to you know do something on time and you need to do it consistently to my first jobs where you learn like you know where I learned about sales and learned about building rapports like through phones for you to then running my own business where you learn about cash flow management you learn about marketing you learn about um getting relationships with customers um and also you learn about sort of actually being able to financially plan for the future so I think every every business I've done every step has sort of moved me closer to be able to achieve what I've achieved thus far in property Sure. And I think a lot of people, um, especially who are working jobs, like PYE jobs, they often forget that it, that is training. They should treat that as training for if they do want to you know, do their own business, they could, there are lots of skills they can take from it. Um, so in terms of property, you mentioned, you know, what, why and so on. But you, you said mainly it's flips. So why flips? So I think... The, the, the first thing I did was a flip and it was coming out of the shisha business, exiting there, um, had a certain amount of working capital. Um, but particularly when operating in London, anything else really would have been too slow for me in terms of where I was trying to get to. So the idea of a flip is obviously you buy an asset, you spend some money on it, you add some value and then you dispose of said asset and your profit is a difference between obviously what you've spent, um, from purchase to improving it um, outside of the GDV. Now, obviously, there is the, the other side of that, that obviously you do pay capital gains, 
But effectively, what I was trying to do is say, look, you know, what I want to do is build as big of a pot of working capital as possible to allow me to go and do, you know, more deals and bigger deals in the future. Because, you know, unfortunately, like capital is very finite. It's a limited resource and we have to kind of work it as efficiently as possible. Absolutely. And would I be right in saying then if you are flipping, do, like, do you get emotionally attached to a specific project? You see some investors don't want to sell because they love what they've done and whatnot. Yeah, I think I've done I've done some, you know, some amazing projects, some things where I've done some some great things in terms of just things of projects that they mean a lot for me personally. Yeah. But I try and detach myself from the emotional side of things. So for example, I did a flat conversion and when you're doing a flat conversion, you sometimes get the luxury of being able to name the building or the muse. I've um, got some buildings named after my late grandmother, so Khadija Walk and Khadija House. And it'd be really easy to say, look, I don't want to sell any of that because it's the family name. But one of the great things about property is, you know, you're building things that can potentially, you know, mortalize people for centuries to come. So you don't necessarily have to own it for it to still mean a lot. And I think that's the good thing about conversions as well. Sure. Now, because sorry, just to remind people, listen, how long have you been doing this then? So when was your first flip to now? So about nine years now, I think nine. Fine. I think I've been, you know, I've been, because I've been saying like eight years. I feel like for the last <laughs> three years, so probably between nine and ten now. Let's just say ten, yeah. So with that, and especially what's going on nowadays, you know, with the economy and that, how how do you kind of mitigate, you know, rising costs and and GDVs that maybe have been squeezed? I think the the reality is like we we are very. You know, the majority, even the people that call ourselves big developers are very small developers in the grand scheme of things. Like economically speaking, as you know, as a country, we're quite small in the grand scheme of things now. Um, so there's very little that you can do to actually insulate yourself from rising costs, because even if you, for example, try and get a fixed price contract from construction, if you want the benefits of a fixed price contract, Generally, as prices rise, what you're going to find are that, you know, the contractors are just going to quote you higher to, def- to protect themselves. So I think, you know, realistically, the deal has to make sense day one. And that's what it's always been. You know, you have to work within the parameters of the current market, whether that be the bill cost, whether that be the GDV, whether that be based on where you think the market's going to be going in the market trajectory over the next 12 to 18 months or whatever the duration of the deal is. But you, the deal has to make sense first and foremost. I think there are there are small things you can do. Like, so potentially, depending on the size of the project, maybe looking to, for example, if it's a smaller project, maybe you could project manage and manage individual trades to remove the element of you know project management or middle management f- from um, from the build team if you feel that you're you know sufficiently versed to be able to do that um, i definitely think making sure you get a number of quotes and get competitive quotes you do you know your own research and then sometimes it goes the other direction actually sometimes you need to spend more money day one which means employing like a quantity surveyor, a QS to get, you know, really drill down numbers on, you know, when it comes to your materials to make sure that maybe you have a flexible contract with your trades because you feel that, you know, you've worked out the materials day one as well. Sure. No, and all of those are valid tips, especially the point about the QS. I think a lot of people, um, especially newer investors, are reluctant to spend money up front because it all adds into their fees and cuts in. But... By doing that, you'll know if the project works or not. Um, 
And how are you finding then with the more recent projects, some of the end values, are they coming in as you'd hoped or, or not? They're still coming in. To be fair, they're still pretty much have been coming in around spot on. I mean, when we look at the market trends, there's there's a lot of doom and gloom. And I think, you know, there is there is potentially a lot of changes to come in the future. But, you know, at the moment, I don't think we've seen the real impacts of COVID and on, on Brexit in terms of in your pocket. So your actual everyday impacts, I don't think you've necessarily seen reduce prices when it comes to the back end. Now, that being said, particularly with things like, you know, help to buy, um, you know, that there's not actively, as we speak at this moment, you know, a new help to buy scheme, which means if you do have projects in the pipeline that you're not going to exit before sort of February 2023, then you maybe need to think to be a little bit more conservative on the numbers. Yeah, speak, uh, speaking of conservative, I think what doesn't help is like, we're probably going to get a new leader of that party soon, so new yeah. prime minister, and then a probably another general election very shortly. So it could be someone else who has different ideas around what they want to do. And and that's the thing. I think, you know, the reality is I think there's so so much ambiguity, so many things that are up in the air at the moment that we don't actually know what the impacts of those are going to be because, you know, as there's, there's normally um, a short-term sort of bolstering of the economy around political instability because everybody's got to put best foot forward everybody's kind of making promises and trying to deliver because effectively the electorate are going to vote based on positivity it's very rare that somebody says look i'm going to be really pragmatic and say that we've got to increase taxes we've got to reduce spending and they get voted in so there is going to be you know potentially is going to be further bolstering to the economy maybe some more you know um, investment positive policy um, that gets implemented but it's just i think as investors in property the thing is properties even when we call them flips that can be quite quick no property deal is really that quick unless you're a trader um so you do have to be thinking that what does the market look like a month from now a year from now depending on the duration of your deal definitely take, take a bigger picture view um question for you kazi so do you have in when you do your projects do you have certain build team that you use and move along with you each time? Yes, I've, I've, I've used, um, when it comes to the independent trades, I've got people that I've used literally from the beginning of my journey. Um, I've got a couple of teams that I use regularly that are external, but, you know, work predominantly for me and have done, you know, for the last, you know, last sort of five years. I think it's good to be, it's good to be consistent. It just means that you understand, you build a working relationship and understand how each other work, particularly when you're doing a lot of the same projects over time. So you're looking to source the same type of properties, whether that be conversions, renovations, they will understand how you work. And I think having a good understanding, a good working relationship with your contractors can save you a lot of time and money. Um, again, same thing though, current market, if you if you are n newer into the industry, it, it can be quite hard to find contractors at the moment. I mean. We have had an exodus of labor, um, which means, you know, it's hard to find good contracts. And generally, if somebody's like, yeah, I can start tomorrow, a lot of the time they're not that great. Um, but sometimes it's better off waiting for the right contractor than it is for sort of just rushing to start for the sake of starting. And I'm sure we've all heard loads and loads of horror stories of, you know, money being lost and paying the wrong people that didn't know what they were doing just because we were in a rush to get going. Yeah, nothing worse than making like a financial mistake that's actually costing you money. Um, 
So, Kazi, a lot of the people who listen to kind of my podcast are slightly newer investors. So, in terms of your projects, then, are you normally funding them through your own funds or investors or lenders? Like, how is that working? Um, the generally, I'd say when it comes to, to property investment, like I've always been quite risk adverse. Um, and I mention that now because I was always like, look, you know, I just wanted to do it with my own money. So I made the money from the first business that I exited. And then so look, I've got this amount of money and I'm going to proceed to then go and do, um, you know, deals within my own capability. Now, that being said, would I advise that for most people? Probably not. It is good to try and leverage and to use, you know, to, to raise investor funding or because at the end of the day, the more access to funds you have, the quicker you can grow. But I think you really have to do your own personal analysis and understand, you know, like what what works for you as an individual because what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for somebody else. And I'd say kind of look at your skill sets, look at your attitude towards risk, do a sort of personal SWOT analysis so um, of, of, your, of you as an individual. So your strengths, your weaknesses, then potential opportunities and threats and use that to work out the best way to structure. Um, but to answer your question more directly, it's had that part of working capital to start with. And was using that for a while, turning it over. So, you know, work on a minimum return on investment of 25%. So every project was just building that working capital pot. Um, I did raise investor funding in, I think, 2016. Raised um, around a million pounds of investor funding in 2016. Used that for about 18 months um, to go and do some bigger projects. Return, return that 2016 and then since then um, basically been self-funding um, my own projects when I say self-funding that's the you know the, the primary investment funds but still going for a, a principal lender whether that be a buy-to-let mortgage residential or a bridging company or development finance um, but was funding the, the principal amount of capital more recently i have started to look at um investor funding i've raised some capital recently in the process of sort of trying to raise another 400k um just to bolster the volume of projects that um that i'm currently doing because so i think pipeline is key particularly in a market like this sure i mean well, one of the things i just want to maybe highlight from what you said there Kazi, is do your own spot analysis understand yourself because not everyone is investable not everyone can raise money from other people or have that kind of knack well, not everybody should raise money yeah absolutely um and leading on from that you know yourself being self-aware what, what do you think you are particularly good at what's your superpower i think that when it comes to just so my background is sort of, you know, economics from a, from an education background. Yeah. I think like numbers, I'm good at numbers. So when it comes to finding a deal, it doesn't matter what the market's been like. I've always been able to find a deal or work out how to, you know, seeing the potential in an opportunity that other people miss and then being able to quantify that through doing the numbers. So I think we've had some, some great projects where I said like a sort of industry standard is sort of 20% um without planning sort of a minimum and then 30 35 percent with a planning gain we've had some projects like with no planning that have you know from an annualized roi perspective achieving over a hundred percent um and have been able to do deals like that over you know over the last sort of nine years consistently so i definitely think the ability to find 
um, a deal and you know see the potential potentially that other people have missed. It's not it's not a bad talent to have. Um, right in ter- in terms of your social media now, um, Taj tells me, and I haven't really checked because there's too many to check that you are the most followed property investor on Instagram. Is that there or thereabouts? I think there's there's maybe one or two um, property people that have 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 a slightly larger following. Um, yeah, but I'd say definitely with it, we're in the top three and maybe sort of full-time property investor. I think there's maybe some more property influencers that do a lot more content-based stuff. Um, but yeah, we've had some good engagement over the last couple of years. It's, it's good. And, and like I say, you know, you're, you're everywhere on my feed. So clearly, even if you're not posting, you're being tagged in or you're being reposted. All that stuff is always good. What's your journey? And you've mentioned before your relationship with social media. What's that been like? Was it always property by Kazi? Has a brand developed? Yeah, so that, that so it's always been it's always been property by Kazi. Um, it was set up. So I've only been on social media for about you know sort of two and a half years now, two years. Um, it was set up sort of beginning of lockdown when, like everybody else, sort of was just left sort of with my hands in the air, thinking, what do we do? Like sites have closed. There's nothing going on. Um, but yeah, like fortunately, because I'd been in the industry for a while and I'd, I'd sort of kept a portfolio, I had a track record of projects that I was just running through, explaining to people what I do. And, you know, when people ask, oh, you know, why did the social media grow so quickly? It's, it's really, I think that every bit, there's a lot of people with a lot of interest in property. Um, Instagram is for nice pictures, or it was previously, like before the sort of real culture kicked off, that it was for before or after pictures. And they worked, worked really well and had a lot of those and just... I think there was just a lot of honest transparency about, look, this is what I do. This is how much we made here. I do think when I spoke about normalizing conversations, you know, a lot of people are very cagey when it comes to how much money did a deal make or how much money did a deal lose or how much did you have to put in? But I think we always sort of tried to just put the transparency at the forefront of the social media, which I think made it quite engageable, quite relatable to a lot of people. And also you know, coming from, you know, an ethnic minority, um, in mixed race, I think, in, in, in London, it meant that it, it resonated with a lot of people that it changed what the typical old guard of property developers look like. And I think seeing somebody that looks like you, talks like you, um, that is investing in property and is also kind of explaining the process means that for a lot of people, it's more obtainable. So people want to, you know, engage more with it. Sure. And you know what, this is this is something I've got on my list of topics to ask you about, but let's ask now because you've touched on it. For you personally, does like representation matter? No, 100%. Like, I don't think, to be honest with you, like, yes, there's, there's loads of upsides of social media. So in terms of, yeah, like, you know, I've, I've, I've bought property on social media, I've sold property on social media, I've... Um, I've, I've made some great connections, I've even raised some finance... But I think I would be fine without social media as well. It, it's it's more of a, a minor tool in the arsenal that does help. But for me, the social media is a lot more about representation. It's a lot more about normalizing ownership. When we look at, um, you know, communities, like the black community has one of the, the lowest home ownership, I think, only ahead of, like, I think it's Bangladeshi in terms of, um, in terms of, like, sort of... The, the, races so you know for me 
people having more conversations around ownership, around how things are achievable, about around how we can elevate is really important because I remember kind of going into some, you know, going into some estate agents to say that, you know, I wanted to put an offer in on something, I wanted to go and view somewhere. And like, I'm walking in and I'm standing in, you know, like a, like a Foxton's, for example, there's quite a snobbish agency yeah. and I'm standing around and then somebody is looking at me saying, oh yeah, someone from Lettings will be with you in a while. And I'm like, I didn't say anything about Lettings. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> I think, um, you know, just, just, just changing the conversation really has always been important for me. And I suppose the follow-on question then is, so representation is important, but then have you found the community that you are representing, have they been supportive? Have they been like, hang on, what are you doing? Yeah, no, they've been super supportive. And I think supportive even to the point where it's been surprising how, you know, how supportive, how some, like, you know, how many people have been like, oh, yeah, I follow your page. Like, it's so good. I've learned, like, even like down to my YouTube, it's not massive. And the amount of people that will come up to me like, oh, I learned this from the YouTube. I did this. You helped me with X, Y, or Z. I've got like literally hundreds and hundreds of, of positive messages to say that how, you know, the, the page and just the general content has really helped people. They find it really interesting. I think it's even, you know, open some doors where, I'd meet somebody that I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm a bit of a fan of this person, like whether it be a rapper. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, Kaz, like, I know you already. I follow your page. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. But I think the longer I've done it, the more I've seen that, you know, property, bricks and mortar, we all need a home. It's something that we all understand. And being a property developer, weirdly, is almost, it's not like being a rapper, but it's one of those things that kind of growing up, you know, everyone kind of thinks like, oh, I'd like to be a musician. Like, that would be great to be a musician. Um, and I think everybody wants to be a homeowner. So it, it is like something that when you're doing it and people know that, oh, you do it, people are excited to talk to you about, to be like, oh, I understand it. How does it work? So there's some times where I'm like, look, it's not, it's tonight, it's not the right time. So I might be out and somebody's drunk in a club trying to explain <laughs> to me about like whether or not they should stay on a variable product or move to a fixed product. But it's the excitement of people seeing it and being like, this is something I really want to talk about, which, you know, just goes a long way to show how, how it potentially has, has been really good. I love that. And um, is it through socials? I saw, I'm sure I saw an event. I'm not sure if it was online or physical, but it was yourself, uh, Seb, the mortgage broker. And yeah. then it was some US real estate guys. Yeah. Was that, again, was that built off of social media? Because that's a yeah, massive that collaboration. Cool. So they reached out to me. They were a platform. They're called... Earn Your Leisure. Um, Earn Your Leisure is one of the, the top sort of podcasts over in the US. I think they've got like over a million subscribers, um, followers on their YouTube, like I think sort of three or four million across multiple platforms. Um, and then they have like, you know, sort of smaller subsidiaries of the, of the larger platform. But I think even that connection of, you know, between the US to the UK, um, just having these conversations has been good. It's opened up a lot of good opportunities over the last, you know, sort of over the last 12 months, done stuff with Sage Accounting, um, big marketing firm, the Treasury, Experian, and all of these opportunities. Like, firstly, it's great to work with these amazing brands, um, but secondly, it's also great to work with the people that work within the brands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it because I see it all posted. And I think these things, like you said, 
you didn't need social media, you don't need these collaborations to do your property kind of thing. Yeah. All of this is brand building, you know, legacy building for the future. And like you say, I guess you recognize everywhere you go. Uh, speaking of which, so let's talk a little bit, Kazi, about networking, networking events. Mm-hmm. So I remember I first, we we haven't really spoken before, to be honest, like a proper chat. Um, and I first met you or saw you at one of the Savoy's networking yeah. events at the Watches of Switzerland. Yeah. And I just want to apologize on, on tape because I think, because we hadn't spoken, but I felt like I knew you, like a typical social media person from Insta. I was overcompensating a little bit and I was being really overfriendly. And I think you were a bit like, well, no, do you know what it is? Shall I, tell you, shall, I tell you, shall I tell you honestly? I'm really, I'm naturally really awkward. So am I. I'm really shy and awkward. But I end up over, I end up overdoing it. So like, so I think that's another thing. Like you know, I'm naturally quite quiet. I'm naturally quite awkward when it comes to property because it's my niche. I can talk yeah. more. I can talk more confidently about it. But put me in a networking room with any like, especially before people knew me to come and talk to me. I think the first property event I went to was um, one of the pin pin property events um, with Sam Azushi. And I think literally I, I was there for the whole day. I think I probably spent most of the time just talking to the guy, giving out the canopies or the drinks, like, you know, just in my corner and didn't really, wasn't confident in going out there and networking and speaking to multiple people. Um, but it is, it's a skill that you learn over time. It, it is a bit awkward, but I would say for people, that are starting out, it can still be really beneficial. There have some been some great contacts that um, I've met at networking events. You do just have to kind of put yourself out there and say, look, what's the worst that can happen? Also, another tip I'd say is don't think to yourself like, oh, you know, I'm not big enough. I'm not doing enough. Like people won't be interested in what I've got to say. You can either listen or you can speak or you can learn. But, you know, there's, there's always something to learn from everybody, whether they're at the beginning or end of their journey. Um, and, you know, there is a bit of a, a pissing contest sometimes if I do this and I do that, but don't get caught up in it. It doesn't matter. Like You just have to run your own race and enjoy your own journey. Yeah. I mean, what I say to people is if if I'm ever at an event is please approach me because I'm so shy. I won't ever approach random people, but come yeah. just say hi and I'm, I'm friendly enough. Um, but yeah, with the networking stuff and it links back to property education, have you been on any of the education stuff when you first started? Nah, I haven't. To be fair, would um, you suggest people do look into that? Because some of them are good. I know some, a lot. There's a lot of trash, but there's yeah, some like, I think like when it comes to education, I think it's just does it does it work for you? I think a lot of people look at education as a. I think I sort of I, I, I'm an aura how about how I feel about a lot of education, but what I would say is a lot of people look at education as a get rich quick scheme. Um, and then if that's what you're doing, you're almost just as responsible as those potentially not putting out good products. Because if you're just trying to get rich quick, you're just trying to take a shortcut. And in reality, shortcuts don't necessarily work a lot of the time. I think you have to put in your own graft, your own effort. You've got to put in the hours to start with to work out what it is that you want to do in property, what's going to work for you, what you do know, what you don't know, what skill sets you can work on. And then at a point in time, you you have an, an idea of what you know, you can then go and try and maybe reach out to an educator to fill in the gaps. Um, and obviously it's just time a lot of the time, like because there is, most of the information is out there. It's just being able to collate that information in a you know concise way that's going to work for you yeah um yeah there's some you know there's some some great educators out there 
like um, Stephanie Taylor, the Tej, Luke's properties that are all putting out, you know, in, in their independent niches, great bits of advice and great training. Um, I think you've just got to make sure that it's going to work for you. I, I need to get Steph on my podcast. Actually, she's from, we're from the same city, so it's, it's not yeah. even a, a trek. Um, and yeah, in terms of get rich quick, I think you probably, I think get rich quick potentially can happen, but it won't last long. So it'll never be get rich for long. I mean, you can, you can, but my thing is that if you're looking for a get rich quick scheme, yeah. you open yourself up to a lot of charlatans potentially, mm. because. That, that that's what that, that's where it is that's what they pray on like when you know the old i don't know if you remember like there used to be these shops where they'd come and be, be selling you something oh like it's going to be you're going to get something amazing for a fiver but it's always kind of that's how the wall gets pulled over your eyes because you're so quick to give your money away because you think you're getting a, a quick deal when you're going to get like that get rich quick that you don't actually take the time to do the analysis and work out actually maybe this is a great deal but this isn't for me yeah absolutely do do your own due diligence um I've seen, Kazi, that you've been, not not always, but you do travel a fair bit. It's a lot of trips to Dubai. Uh, is that pleasure only or actually doing business over there? Um, so I've got some business in Dubai, um, but generally my travel is is my peace, is my relaxation. So yeah. I've, I've been fortunate enough to travel to some great countries. I think I'm up in the early 50s now in terms of different countries that I've been to. Um, but I think it is that, that work-life balance, that being able to recharge, you know, particularly at the start of my journey, you know, I was doing sort of 80, 90 hours a week. Um, and then so it was a case of if I didn't travel or didn't physically take myself out of out of work, then I wouldn't be able to switch off. It's, it's a tough one, man. I think I'm similar. Like I, 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 I'm a workaholic, but I kind of think I enjoy it. However, I do realise you do need to yeah. self-regulate and, and switch off sometimes as well. Um, right, Kazi, so let's, I just want to talk, I've written it and I'm not sure it's a normal question really, but camera confidence. So I've seen your video that you've done for Sage the, about the account and stuff. Um, seen your videos on YouTube, Instagram, all that jazz. I am, me personally, I'm really struggling to be on camera. There's a reason these don't go out on video because my body language is all over the shop. And that's why I leave, you know, Sam Norris to the videos because he's good at it. But what tips would you give someone like myself who is naturally a little bit uncomfortable and awkward? I'm with you. Like I'm naturally, <laughs> I'm naturally uncomfortable. I think. Do you know what? Like there was this thing when I first started. It's first started having to record, and it's like it's a lot of pressure when when you know you're, you're fine, you're talking, and the camera comes up and you clam up. You're like, oh, I don't know what to say yeah. now. But I would this is again it's PG. But I would just say, look, I used to just before before recording, just whether it's you shout, you swear, you just get it, get it out, get you know, get yourself actually making a noise, and then just say, look, just go for it because. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change that much, I think. Just um, working on your delivery, potentially just taking a little bit of time to breathe, not sort of focusing on, I've got to say everything perfectly first time. That's the great thing about stuff that's not live. There's an opportunity to edit it, tweak it, take your better take. Um, so, Yeah, I, I definitely edit these podcasts quite a lot. And you, you'll if you can see my screen, I've hidden my face. I've got I've got the topics on you. I don't want to see myself because it becomes too self conscious. Yeah. Um, but no, I will make a note of those. So as we're kind of winding down, Gazi, any kind of like again for the newer investors because you're at a different level, a different stage, but you're still investing, you're still doing what you're doing. But people starting out, you've set about due diligence. You know, you've set about 
look at the end and work backwards around what you want to do, but any kind of key tips for people who are starting out, especially in this climate? I think, yeah, it's, it's tough. Like, it is tough, like, particularly when you're newer because there's so many things that you're thinking you can either be over, over positive and try and make a deal work that doesn't make sense because you're so eager to find a deal. You can be over pessimistic and, you know, think about too many factors involved in why it would go wrong. I think there, there's a fine balance between the two. I think there is an element you do have to be quite, you know, positive because your role as an investor is to be able to see how you can make something work not to just look at all the things that could go wrong. So you need to factor them in into, your, into the conversation, into the numbers, but your role is generally to work out how you can make things work. And that's, that goes for being an entrepreneur as a whole. I think that's one of the reasons why you often find a lot of people that have even been in the industry like estate agents, because they're constantly sell progressing and seeing sales fall through or seeing things not happen. They're always looking for the perfect deal. And so kind of get stuck in that circle of deal analysis without actually taking action. I think just find a balance of what, you know, how you, you know, how you actually um, quantify risk um, and then work your deals backwards. So start with your GDV. So when you do that through good comparisons, good comparables, what you actually think the property can sell for um, at the end of the project and make sure that you know you're, you're comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges and you're not overselling or underselling um, in terms of what you think it's worth. Then work in your bill costs, work in your costs of sales, uh, work in your purchase costs, your finance costs and all of the other associated costs and then work in what margin you would be happy with and then that will allow you to be able to say okay this is what we can then offer on this project and but early on it's not all about the money you want to make sure you don't lose money but it's not about having to say oh well everybody's saying they're making 25 percent, so i've got to make that yes you need to be able to insulate yourself from risk and make sure that there is a contingency should the project not go as well however if you do your first project and you make a little bit more than break even you make something a lot of people are going out there and are paying for courses we spoke about earlier, but the level of experience and you know education you'll get from doing that first deal and getting it across the line, the things that you learn, I think will you know will fast track you to being able to do bigger and better deals in the near future. So I do think don't get caught up in you know overly analyzing everything. Just try and actually get out there and start doing things. Do, do a deal, be, be a how person. Um, sure. Now, guys, just kind of some final words. So what do you think kind of the future is for, for yourself, for the brand? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking maybe a book, a billboard picture somewhere, maybe an um, album, I don't know. No, so I think, <laughs> yeah, because I said it's like being a rapper. No, I think, um, so there's there's some, there's some cool stuff we've got we've got in the pipeline. Um, I mentioned recently I've been a bit quieter on social media, like beginning of August, we're going to have circa about four million pounds of projects in construction um looking at starting to work with some people within the uh, music and professional athletes just to build those brand relationships from a social media perspective again pushing on with the podcast with the development tours just you know putting a spotlight on a lot of the great people within the industry doing great things um 
And then also, like, we already sponsor, like, the football team, so, like, Most Wanted Elite football team, working with doing some more kind of football and finance, like, financial literacy stuff for some of the great boys and girls that work for that team, you know, just combining their winning mentality with ours. They've just done great, just won, you know, the London Cup, won the leagues from ages 13 to 15. Um, and I think it's really important to arm some of the younger generation with the skill set to allow them to keep, you know, keep pushing effectively. You know, when, it, when we talk about ownership and talk about wealth management, it's, a, it's, you know, we're just passing the baton. So we've got to run our leg of the race and then pass the baton on as smoothly um, and with as, as much, you know, as much speed as possible to the next generation. Sure. And I think, you know, just to touch on that point and we'll, we'll wrap this up is, the earlier you can kind of grab people's attention and get them interested, the, the better, because they don't teach these things in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's very good. And I'm sure you'll do all of that because you're clearly a person who does what he says. Um, so, Cassie, that's been really, really interesting. A lot of things I'm going to kind of make notes on. So, look, thank you for your time. No, thank you for having me on. Take care. <laughs> so what did you think of that? Please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars of course, and also connect with me on socials at Where's Shaz. Until next time, be humble, be grateful, be peaceful.